We've got the title tonight, The Holy Oblation to Yahweh, and as you can see by the illustration on the screen, it's going to be about the division of the land. But we've got a few things we want to talk about before we get to the division of the land. So just an outline of the, the study that we're going to deliver tonight. We're going to look at, firstly, where we left off our last study, waters for cleansing and for baptism. Then we're going to look at the Holy Oblation, then a portion in that for the sons of Zadok, a portion for the Levites, and then the division of the land and the promise made to Abraham, and then finally the motel city called Yahweh Shema. But let's get started. Before we get to those things, we're going to look at waters for cleansing. So we, we finished our last study by Ezekiel being taken around the temple and now in chapter 47 and verse 1 he arrives at this point where we read and afterward he brought me again unto the door of the house and behold waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward for the forefront of the house stood toward the east and the waters came down from under the right side of the house at the south side of the altar so if you can just see on the screen there the waters that will be coming down the south side of the altar on the right hand side and we made the point that those waters were representative, symbolic, a type of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, would remind the people of that the, uh, when the soldier's spear pierced the side of the Lord Jesus Christ and water and blood flowed out from beneath the altar of Christ as the altar is washed clean by the waters that surge up underneath that altar and they wash across the altar on the top there, you see item D in the screen, and they wash over that brass surface and flow down the right side of the temple, all symbolised and conveying the lesson of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ as water and blood flowed out of the side of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we see from that passage there in John 19. So the altar in the centre of the temple is going to be the, the central focus for everybody who comes to worship. It will centre there attention on the great sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that we mentioned that the water that flowed underneath that altar flowed out into two life-giving streams. Then they flowed down into the Dead Sea, filling it with fish and transforming that Dead Sea into a very much alive sea. And of course, it's symbolic of the word of God that would flow out of the, the temple of God and would cleanse the nations and bring life to the dead nations of the world, the sea would become a living sea. So when we look closely at that altar, in the scriptures it's referred to as the Ariel of God. Now I've got a whole study on the Ariel of God, so I'm not going to go into depth and explain the detail tonight. Only to say this much, that there you've got a cross-section of the altar, that the altar, I believe, will be surrounded by a court of water, and that water will surge up at times and flow across the top of that altar. The water comes up from underneath the mountain and surges across the, the top of the altar. And of course, that really reminds us of what Elijah did, that Elijah repaired the altar of Israel that had been broken down and he filled the trenches around that altar that he built up with water and then the fire came down from heaven and it licked up the, the sacrifices and the water 
and consumed everything. And so that was a type, really, in, in the scriptures of the great work of the Lord Jesus Christ, where he'll raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen down, he'll build it up as in days of old, as Elijah built up the altar, and the central feature of that great house will be the aerial of God. The word aerial means the lion of God, upon which the sacrifices will be consumed. So the fire will come down out of heaven, as it came down out of heaven, and consume Elijah's sacrifice, Yahweh will send fire down and consume the sacrifices on that altar. Now that's really all I'm going to say about the sacrifices tonight. As I said, there's a whole study on that. I just wanted to finish off that in relation to the river coming up underneath the altar. But there's a passage of scripture that I'd like you to join me now in 1 John. Yes, it is 1 John, because this is something that will remind the people of the great work of God in the Lord Jesus Christ when they come up to the temple. In the first epistle of John and in chapter 5 we read in verse 6 this is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. And verse 7, we do not believe is in the original, but then verse 8 is the verse I want. And there are three that bear witness in the earth, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. Now, in relation to the Lord Jesus Christ, he had the power of the Holy Spirit, he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was the source of living water for all that came to him out of his belly would flow forth living waters. And it was the blood, the life, the sacrifice that he gave that was for the life, for the salvation of mankind. All of those three things agree in one. So when people come up to the temple, and I've got that quote on the screen now, when visitors come to the temple, those three principles will be reinforced. The spirit will be visible. When I say the spirit will be visible, people will see the temple and they'll see the, the great cloud, that, like a canopy that shadows over the top, and the, the Shekinah glory shining through that, temp, that cloud. They'll, they'll see evidence of the spirit of God, the great power of God. They'll see the water. And that will remind them of, of the cleansing effect of the word of, word of God. Everywhere they go, there'll be water. As we said, they had to walk through the water. They will have to be baptised in that water. There will be water surging out and bubbling out, under, out of the thresholds. And there will be blood from the sacrifices that are brought up to the entrances on the slaying blocks and then taken through in the temple from the, the animal sacrifices and taken up to the altar. So there will be three things in that great temple that will bear witness to the great power of God and to the salvation of the Lord work in the Lord Jesus Christ. The spirit, the water, the great cleansing of the word of God will be the principle that's being taught and the blood, the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, the sacrificial life by which they can obtain life themselves. Those three principles will be very evident. They will bear the principles, that great wonderful truth in the temple age as they did in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
All right, now let's come to the holy oblation. What does the holy oblation mean? Well, the holy oblation was a segment of land sandwiched in between the division of the land for the tribes that was a special piece of land for Yahweh's purpose. In the kingdom it's going to be a special... The word holy oblation means an offering. It's as though the people are giving this particular special piece of land as an offering to Yahweh. It says in Ezekiel 45 and verse 1, Moreover, when ye shall divide by lot the land for inheritance, ye shall offer an oblation unto Yahweh. An offering. You're going to offer this land unto Yahweh, a holy portion of the land. The length shall be, and the length shall be of five and twenty thousand, and reeds is not in the original, and the breadth shall be ten thousand. This shall be holy in all the borders thereof round about. And so on the screen you can see this holy oblation made up of the portion for the sons of Zadok, a portion for the Levites, and a portion called the possession of the city. So we're going to deal with those three, three sections tonight. In chapter 48, it tells us, and I'll put that quote up on the screen for you, as chapter 45 says, all the oblations shall be five and twenty thousand Five and twenty thousand by five and twenty thousand. It's going to be a square, twenty-five thousand measures square. The word reed is not in the original, so it measures twenty-five thousand. But it is now. If you've got a Revised Standard Version Bible and you've got cubits, cubits is incorrect. A cubit, if you remember, was a small measurement, handspan from the elbow to the tip of the fingers to the handspan. That's a cubit. It's not 25,000 cubits, but it's 25,000 measures or reeds. And I'll prove that to you tonight, that it cannot be cubits. It is 25,000 reeds long. Even though the scriptures do not call it reeds, it just says it's 25,000. So if we look at those measurements, we put them on the, on the drawing, 25,000 reeds that way, 10,000 reeds for the, the width for the portions for the sons of Zadok, 10,000 reeds for the portion for the sons of Levi, and 5,000 reeds for the possession of the city. So that holy oblation is 25,000 times 3.744 metres, and that's 3.744 metres, as you remember from our previous study, was six cubits, so it's 93,600 metres or 93.6 kilometres square or 56 miles square if you want it in miles or 90 kilometres square. So it's a very large portion of the land. This is right in the sandwich in between the division of the tribes, the 12 tribes. This is the special offering to Yahweh, the holy oblation. We're told in Ezekiel 45 that there would be a holy portion for the sons of Zadok. And you can just see, I'll just put it on the screen there for you. That particular section there is for the sons of Zadok. It says, Moreover, when ye shall divide the, by lot the land for inheritance, ye shall offer an oblation unto Yahweh, and holy portion of the land, the length shall be the length of five 
and 20,000, and the bread shall be 10,000. This shall be holy in all the borders thereof round about. So this is for the sons of Zadok. Now the sons of Zadok are the immortal priests. That's us. Now we're not all going to live in this portion of the land in a thousand years. I believe that it will be a rotational basis, that the saints will go up to Jerusalem on a rotational basis as the priests did in historical times. They were rotated and they would, we will serve in the temple on a rotational basis. But this will be the holy portion where the sons of Zadok, the immortal priests, that's us, God willing, we will, we will dwell and work in that section. Then there's a section called the portion for the Levites. Now they are the mortal priests. Now I can prove that to you, which will be in another study. They are the mortal priests who will serve in the temple. And they will work on a rotational basis also. And we're told that the information for them is given to us in chapters 45 and chapters 48. It says, And the five and twenty thousand of length and the ten thousand of breadth shall also the Levites, the ministers of the house, have for themselves for a possession for twenty chambers. And I'll explain what that twenty chambers means a little bit later. And then there's the what's known as the possession of the city, the smaller division of the land where the, there's going to be a motel city built called Yahweh Shemar. That will be constructed in the possession of the city. This territory here, that we see on the screen, will be used to, to house all the mortal population who come up to visit the temple. There will be crops grown in that area. There will be uh, animals raised, producing milk and, and food for the people who are staying in that motel city. So that's called the possession of the city, that particular territory. And as you can see, it's a little bit small. It's 25,000 wide, but only 5,000 deep, whereas the other two portions were 10,000 deep. So the motel city will be there to serve those who come up. Now just come back to Ezekiel chapter 48 to have a look at this motel city. Ezekiel chapter 48. We just that passage we read. In verse 15 of chapter 48, and the five that are, the five thousand that are left in the breadth over against the five and twenty thousand shall be a profane place for the city. That's not for the temple, for the city, for dwellings, for dwelling and for suburbs. And the city shall be in the midst thereof. So the city, this called Yahweh Shemar, is going to be in the very centre of this particular portion of ground. Come over to verse 30 of that 48th chapter and we read more about the city. And these are the goings out of the city on the north side, 4,500 measures. And the gates of the city shall be after the names of the tribes of Israel, three gates northward, one gate of Reuben, one gate of Judah, one gate of Levi. So it names the 12 gates that are named after the 12 tribes of Israel. And then we come down to Verse 35, 
It was round about 18,000 measures and the name of the city from that day shall be Yahweh is there. Yahweh is there. In the Hebrew, those words Yahweh is there is Yahweh Shema, which means Yahweh is thither. So when people come to this motel city, and I'll just show you where this motel city is. This is the motel city now just being placed in that possession there, right there. It's called Yahweh Shema because it's saying to the people in that city they will look up and they will see right up in the distance the glorious Temple Mount and they'll see the temple and they'll be staying in the motel city but they'll look up and Yahweh is thither. Yahweh's up there in that temple. Yahweh is thither. So it's called Yahweh thither because they see the glory of Yahweh. They see the temple all the way off in the distance of the, right up on the other side of the portion of the Levites in the portion for the sons of Zadok. Now this temple, this, this city rather, we're given the dimensions of this city. And I didn't read them uh, out to you, but they're given to us, well the names, we're given the names there, but the size of the city is given in verses 16 uh, through to verse 18 of that 48th chapter. But I'll put them on the screen for you. So people will embark. We believe they'll come up in boats in, in the living sea get off the boats and walk up to this motel city and there they will be accommodated and we're told that it's got suburbs around the outside and those suburbs are 250 reeds and the city is 450 reeds by 450 reeds. Now the 450 reeds doesn't mean anything to you so I said on the screen that distance you can see on the grey there it's approximately the distance from the Gateway Bridge to Kapalabar. That's along one side, then along the other side. So it's, that's, that's how it's quite a large... If you, if you were to go and stay in a motel tonight, it may have 30 rooms in it. This is a very large city with lots and lots of accommodation to accommodate a lot of people. That's how big it is. It's a city. And it's got these suburbs around the outside that I've got in the green there, that are for the, the crops and growing for the food and, and for a buffer for the animals then that will be on the outside of that. So it's called Yahweh Shema or Yahweh Yassir. People will stay there before they go up to the temple. All right, I've just told you all that. Now, we, we're given in chapter 48 from verse 30 onwards, the names of the gates of the city. So it's Reuben, one gate for Reuben, one gate for Judah on the north side, one gate for Levi, one gate for Joseph, one gate for Benjamin, one gate for Dan, one gate for Simeon, one gate for Issachar, one gate for Zebulun, a gate for Gad, a gate for Asher, and a gate for Naphtali. Now those gates all put together, they tell us a parable of the people who come up into that city. It's all about a parable. Because Reuben means, see ye a son. Judah means praise. Levi means joined. Joseph means adding. 
Benjamin means son of the right hand. Dan means judge. Simeon means hearing. Issachar means he will bring a reward. Zebulun means a habitation. Gad, a troop. Asher, blessed and happy. And Naphtali, wrestlings. So if we put the meanings of those names together, we come up with a parable. And here's the parable of the, the city. Because the people from that city are going to see a son. See ye a son. He will be praised by those joined and added to the son of the right hand who have been judged through the hearing of his word. For them he will be a habitation for a multitude or a troop who are blessed and happy after many wrestlings. So it's, it's a parable of the saints who have responded to the word of God now in, our, in the days of our mortality and it's the parable of the gates of the city. All who go into that city will come under the blessing of that parable. Right, now we said, okay, that's, that's the holy oblation is that portion you can see in the red in the very centre of those divisions of the tribes. But the 12 tribes have now a division from the river of Egypt to the river Euphrates as was promised to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. Now the dimensions for these divisions of the land are not specified but they are equally divided because it says one as well as the other or the, the Hebrew word is one the same as the other and we'll come to that in a moment. And so it says, and ye shall inherit it, that's the land, one as well as another concerning the which I lift up mine hand to give it unto your fathers, and this land shall fall into you, unto you for inheritance. It means the divisions will be the same as the other. They're all going to be equal divisions from the river of Egypt to the river Euphrates divided into equal portions out on either side of the holy oblation. Ezekiel 48 says, Now these are the names of the tribes from the north and to the coast of the way of Hethlon, as one goeth to Hamath, Hazaran, the border of Damascus, northward to the coast of Hamath. For these are his sides, east and west, a portion for Dan. So Dan, as you can see on the screen there, is the topmost tribe. It was a portion, the word portion means one like the other. And Brother Sully actually uses the word canton. They were cantons, a division of equal width from the river of Egypt to the river Euphrates. So the boundary would reach the extreme northern boundary. We're told, I can't go back, I'm sorry, was from Hethlon right up there in Dan. And the extreme southern boundary would be occupied by the tribe of Gad, as we're told in Ezekiel 47, verse 19. And the south side southward towards Tadmor, where I've got that arrow pointing, is right down on the tip of the Sinai Peninsula is Tadmor. So the 12 tribes were spread out in equal divisions on either side of the Holy Oblation, covering all of that land. A 
So there's the whole ablation. Now, if if we use cubits and not reeds. Now, has anybody got a Revised Standard Version Bible with them on their lap? No one's got an RSV? No one has an RSV. Right. Because if you've got an RSV, it will have the word cubits. Well, you might have another translation to it, but the word's not there. There's no, there's no cubits. If we use the word cubits, we end up with a size for the holy oblation of only 15 and a half kilometres square or 9.3 miles square. Whereas previously we had 90, 56 square miles or 90 square kilometres. Quite a big difference. So for example, if we use reeds, that's how big, that's the holy oblation for the sons of Zadok, a very small piece of ground. 20, if, it's, if you believe it's cubits. The holy oblation for the sons of Levi would be that small piece of ground there. And the possession for the city would be that small piece of ground there. Now I would say that the, those that call themselves the Palestinians would be very happy with that because they say, well, Israel can just have a little piece of the ground. But that's not what God promised them. God promised them from the river of Egypt to the river Euphrates, which would be a very large territory. So I'm just pointing out that cubits are wrong. If cubits are the measurement, then all dimensions will be reduced down to one-sixth of the tribal portions. Now, the tribal portions were from Egypt to the, right over in Iran to Euphrates. If we use cubits for our measurement, then we reduce everything down to one-sixth of that measurement and that will make the promise that God made that, that, that Abram would possess from the river Egypt to the river Euphrates, it would make it incorrect. And that's really saying the scriptures are not correct if we're going to use small dimensions for small temples and small divisions in the land. So we could be included in those who are condemned for changing the word of God. So I'll just show you how big there's the there's the promise that God made to Abram. In the same day, Yahweh made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. So God promised that. And they've never yet inherited that. It'll only happen in the kingdom. Now that little piece of land that just came in there then, if you use cubits, that's what you end up with. A very, very small, as I said, the Palestinians would be very happy with that. But it's not what God says in the Bible. God says, no, they'll inherit all this territory. Cubits are not the correct measurement. It is reeds that is used, and we, we only use cubits where cubits are, are actually specified and not in italics. So now, the division the of the tribes, the way they're arranged in the land, that also gives us a parable of the encampment of the 12 tribes. So this time, it's different to the gates of the city, the names are similar, but the way they're arranged is different. So we've got Dan, Judgment, Asher, Blessed or Happy, Naphtali, Wrestling, Manasseh this time, Causing to Forget, Ephraim this time, Double Fruit, Reuben, See Ye a Son, Judah, Praised, 
Benjamin, son of the right hand, Simeon, hearing, Issachar, he will bring a reward, Zebulun, a habitation, and Gad, a troop. And if we put them together into a parable, we come up with this sentence, or this parable. Behold, a people judged, and now blessed after great wrestlings, who now have cause to forget their past, and now are doubly fruitful, having seen the Son, and praised him, seated at the right hand, in that he now has brought a reward of habitation in the kingdom to the multitude of Israel. So the promises to Israel are part of the, the arrangement of those tribes. God's promise to the nation that they would be blessed and they would accept the Lord Jesus Christ. Now just moving away from the division and coming back to the land at this time, to the, the earthquake and the effect the earthquake has on the land, it opens up a valley that's known as the Valley of Achor. The Valley of Achor is there, but it will be changed somewhat. And I've got on the screen a couple of quotes where the Valley of Achor is mentioned in the Bible prophetically. And it says in Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 10, And Sharon shall be a fold of flocks, and the Valley of Achor a place for herds to lie down in for my people that have sought me. So Achor will be a place where cattle are kept and they're kept there for people who come up to the temple so they can select the cattle, the sheep and the cattle and then bring them up to the temple gates and have them slain at the temple gates on the slaying blocks and then the, the bodies cut up and taken inside to be placed on the altar. And you can see that black dotted line. I believe that will be the region that, where the Valley of Achor will be. And so it says in Hosea, And I'll give her vineyards from thence, and the valley of Achor for a door of hope. Now the valley of Achor really was a, a place that spelt trouble. It was where Achan did the wrong thing. He, he took the Babylonian garment, he lied about what he had done, and it was eventually revealed but it will become a place of hope because the Valley of Achor will be a place where people will get off the boats once again from the, the Dead Sea there, which will be the Living Sea, and they'll come up this valley. Israel will come up this valley, all the, all the, the people who initially come up to the temple and to the, the uh, hotel city will come up the Valley of Achor. And the Valley of Achor shall be a, a door of hope, and she shall sing there as in the days of her youth and as the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. So when Israel came into the land, they came in that way. And so Israel is going to be made again to come into the land and come up that way through the valley of Achor and the second Exodus. And there's the temple. The temple is placed right at that point there. Now it says... When the temple is placed there, I'll just place the temple on the site, you'll notice that the temple overlaps. Most of the temple is in the portion of the sons of Zadok, but there is a, the southern section of the temple is in the portion of the sons of Levi. And it tells us in Ezekiel chapter 45, and the five and twenty thousand of length and the ten thousand of breadth shall also the Levites, the ministers of the house, have for themselves for a possession 
for 20 chambers. So the Levites are going to have 20 chambers in the southern portion and it will be overlapping into their territory. So the temple will just overlap into that territory. Now, Brother Sully suggests that this arrangement will do is to prevent the pollution of the portion of the sons of Zadok being contaminated with droves of cattle brought to the sanctuary, for these will transfer, transverse the mortal, popular, mortal Levites portion. So the, the cattle will move up through the, the Levites portion. They won't be moving around the, sun, the portion of the sons of Zadok. And uh, that's just a suggestion of Brother Sully that the reason why the Levites are, have got this portion just to the south. Now the Valley of Achor is known as a Valley of Trouble, but Yahweh says it's going to be a place known as a Door of Hope. It's where Joshua entered the land. It was the main route from Jericho to Jerusalem. Zedekiah fled the city when the Babylonians were taking it along this route. The Lord traversed this on his last tragic walk from Jericho, came up to Jerusalem. It will be the future approach to the temple from the living sea and animals for sacrifice will be available along the way. And returning Jews at the second exodus will enter the land by it. And there you can see an artist's impression of what it would be like coming up that valley of the Achor and you can see the temple in the distance as they would come also from the motel city from the south, they'll see the temple. This is coming up the valley of Achor, coming up the valley of hope, which was once a valley of trouble but now it's a valley of hope because they can see the beautiful temple as they walk up towards it. That passage that said there would be a portion for the sons of Zadok and a portion for the Levites, I'm just putting that division in there now. So there's that line I've just put in there divides the line of the temple, there would be Selah or rooms for the mortal Levites to uh, operate in and that would be in their portion. The rest of the, the temple to the north, as you can see, you got a section there for the sons of Zadok, the glorified saints uh, in, in the rest of that uh, part of the temple. And so these chambers which are on the outside of the, the uh, outer court there's about 10 of them on either side, we understand, and as only 30 chambers were measured in all, and only three sides were measured, so we understand that there were 10 chambers per side. So there would be the chambers that the Levites would have, similar to the chambers on the other side, and we already pointed out that they are about the, the uh, makeup in representation equal to the length of the Wilson Hall, just one portion of them. All right. Now the Lord Jesus Christ said to his disciples, he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, which will be in the temple in Jerusalem, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So there we've got the division of the land, Gad, sorry, Dan, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Manasseh coming down from north to south. In each one of those territories, there will be a disciple having a throne ruling from that territory. That's what the Lord said. 
In each one of those there will be a throne, the twelve thrones ruling over the twelve, over the twelve tribes of Israel. Now we don't know exactly where they will be, I've just put these randomly, but they will be ruling over those twelve tribes as they are now divided in the land. So twelve thrones, twelve disciples ruling over the twelve tribes of Israel. Now Abraham, Isaac and Jacob will also have a portion in this territory. So there's the we place the temple where it belongs there and we see that Jacob will be in Bethel, Abraham will be in Hebron and Isaac will be in Beersheba. They will also have thrones to rule upon in those portions of the land. Now this is not something that I've just cooked up. What I'm showing you tonight, I'm going to go on and give you more detail now, Brother Sully has done a lot of work on this and this is Brother Sully's uh, suggestion also that this will be the case. And so God said to Abraham, Arise, walk through the land, in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and he built there an altar unto Yahweh. Now Abraham did move around the land, but we believe that Hebron is the place that will be designated to Abram, right there. Beersheba, we believe, will be given to Isaac. And we read of Isaac, and he went up from thence to Beersheba, and Yahweh appeared unto him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, thy father, fear not, for I am with thee and will bless thee and multiply thy seed for my servant Abraham's sake. And he builded an altar there and called upon the name of Yahweh and pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants digged a well. So Beersheba, Isaac is known as the territory that he would belong to would be in Beersheba. Whereas Jacob... Well, we read of Jacob in Genesis 28, he would be in Bethel, where God said, And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, Yahweh stood above it and said, I am Yahweh Elohim of Abraham thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest, which was in Bethel at that time, to thee will I give it and to thy seed and I will bring thee again into this land for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep and he said, Surely Yahweh is in this place and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place? This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. You know, it's really significant that Bethel is just outside of Jerusalem and it's going to be very, in very close proximity to where the house of Yahweh will be built, the temple. So those 12 disciples, 12 thrones, ruling over the 12 tribes. But we've got three other men, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, also who will be given specific territory and places to live. So when the Lord Jesus Christ sits in the temple, in the eastern precincts of the temple, and he faces east, 
He will have Abraham on his right side and he will have Jacob in Bethel on his left side. I want you to remember that. So there's the temple. Christ will be sitting in the temple facing east and the eastern side of the temple. Abraham on his right and Jacob on his left. You know, when the Lord was asked about goodness, who will sit on the right and the left of the Son of God, he says, to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but for whom it is prepared of, of my Father. So God had promised, I believe, that to Abraham and that to Jacob and the Christ is just reiterating that promise that those, those, those thrones have already been promised to those men. So now when we take those 12 disciples and those three other men, we have 15. That brings us to another very interesting quote, which is in Micah chapter 5 and verse 5. I've got it on the screen, but I would, do, I would like you to come across to Micah chapter 5 and verse 5. The prophecy of Micah chapter 5 is about the Lord coming, about the establishment of the kingdom of God, verse 2 for example, but thou Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be amongst the thousands of Judah, though thou be little amongst the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be a ruler in Israel, whose going forth hath been from old, from everlasting. And of course it's a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ that would be born in Bethlehem. But then the prophecy goes on to talk about this man and in verse 5 we read, And this man shall be the peace, and the word when is not in the original, shall be the peace, the Assyrian shall come into the land. And of course the Assyrian is a type of the northern invader, the Gogian host. This man, the Lord Jesus Christ, shall be the peace when... Go shall come into the land, and, we shall, and when he shall tread in our palaces, then shall we raise against him seven shepherds and eight principal men. Seven and eight is fifteen. And we've got fifteen men here, the twelve disciples and Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, I believe will be those fifteen men that will be raised against the Assyrian when he comes into into the land. Verse 6, And the Assyrian shall waste the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod and the entrances thereof. Thus shall, sorry, it's, it's the Lord shall, and the Lord shall waste the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod and the entrances thereof. Thus shall he deliver us from the Assyrian when he cometh into our land and when he treadeth within our borders. So the Lord Jesus Christ will, as we know from Ezekiel 38, Joel chapter 3, Zechariah chapter 14, will deliver Israel when the Gogian invader comes into the land. So those 15 were promised that they would sit in those divisions of the land and they will eventually be there. Now, 
you might think, well, that's a bit of a long shot. I want you to just come with me now, and I'm going to put it on the screen for you because we are running out of time. just want you to consider this, that Abraham's work is a type of the destruction of the Gogian host. When Abraham was, divide, was attacked and invaded by the Northern Confederacy in Genesis chapter 14, just have a look in Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14, we've got a confederacy of nations that invade the land of Israel, as we're told they will do again in the last days in Ezekiel 38. And Abraham's lot is taken captive. And in this chapter 14, Abraham takes 318 of his men trained in his own house, of his servants, and he goes out and he rescues Lot and his men and brings them back and overcomes the invader. Brother H.B. Mansfield says, in this chapter, Armageddon is foreshadowed. In this historical record, we have a typical foreshadowing of the last great crisis of the nation. So what we're saying here, Micah chapter 5 talks about these 15 men who will be involved in overcoming the Assyrian invasion, the Gogian invasion. Here we've got Abraham in type doing that. He will do it in the last days. He will be with the Lord Jesus Christ and the disciples and they'll be and so will many of the saints be engaged in that great battle to deliver Israel from their enemy. And so we're told that when Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. It's just interesting that Abraham's servant, personal servant, was a man named Eliezer, and the numerical value of Eliezer is 318, and Eliezer means God is help. And so God will help Israel, and he will use men trained in Abraham's house to bring judgment against the invader. And we're told that they carried the captives away in verse 15, and they carried them into a place called Hobar, which is on the left-hand side of Damascus. And I've got Damascus on the map there, the left-hand side of Damascus. If you're facing east to an Israelite, the east was always the front, so the left hand was to the north, And Damascus, the name means a sack of blood, which is an appropriate name for the battle that will be engaged. There will be Armageddon, but there will be ongoing battles. And Damascus means a sack of blood. Damascus, by the way, in the Bible, represents the capital of the Gentiles, and Jerusalem represents the capital of God's kingdom. So conflict between, there always has been conflict between Damascus it was the traditional enemy of Israel, Damascus was, and Jerusalem is the city of the great king. So in the typology of Genesis 14, we read of this Chedorlaomer who made war with 
the inhabitants of the land. Verse 1 of chapter 14, It came to pass in those days of Aramaphel, king of Shinar, Ariak, king of El Elisar, Chedolaimah, king of El Elam, and Tyre, king of nations, that these made war with Bera, the king of Sodom, and goes on to radiate all the names of the kings that he, he engaged in war. Chedolaimah is typical of Gog and his armies. The name Chedolaima means a handful of sheaves. And of course we know that the word Armageddon means a heap of sheaves in a valley for threshing. So he's a type of Gog. This is a type of the great battle of Armageddon. Lot that's taken away captive. He is symbolical of Israel after the flesh. That they will be taken captive. Two thirds of them will be. The king of Sodom and his associates are the Western world, and Abram and his associates are the saints in militant manifestation. Those 15 men, along with the saints, and Melchizedek is the king priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're told that Abraham gave a tenth part of all to Melchizedek because he was, by being by interpretation, king of righteousness and after that king of Salem, which is king of peace. And that will be the Lord Jesus Christ when he establishes himself in Jerusalem. The Lord Jesus Christ, the king of righteousness, will reign from Salem, bringing peace to the world. And he brought forth bread and wine to Abram. And of course it's tokens of the covenant confirmed in Luke 22. And we're told in the prophecy of Ezekiel that the prince will eat bread before Yahweh in that great day when the temple is opened. And so after the holocaust of Armageddon, when the house of prayer for all nations has been erected, the Lord will fulfil his vows he made in that upper room and will partake of a feast again with his brethren. And so this is a significant typical prophecy. Reigning in Salem and presiding over the centre of worship, the household of Abraham, representing the multitudinous body of Christ, rejoicing in a communal feast in the city of peace. There they celebrate a victory of faith in the defeat of the Northern Confederacy. But I went to all that trouble, brothers and sisters and young people, to reinforce the fact that these 15 men will be with the 12 disciples and Abraham, Isaac and Jacob will be given that portion of land and will sit on thrones, ruling in the kingdom of God. And of course, the great promise for us too is that we will rule and reign with Christ as kings and priests in the earth. So God willing, that will conclude our study tonight, God willing, Next fortnight, I hope to be able to look at the